1: Welcome to Siena Senior Living, Inc.'s Q4 2020 conference call. Today's call is hosted by Nitin Jain, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Karen Hahn, Chief Financial Officer of Sienna Senior Living, Inc. Please be aware that certain statements or information discussed today are forward-looking and actual results could differ materially. The company does not undertake to update any forward-looking statement or information. Please refer to the forward-looking information and risk factors section in the company's public following, including its most recent MD&A and AIF, for more information. You will also find a more fulsome discussion of the company's results and its MD&A and financial statements for the period, which are posted on SEDAR and can be found on the company's website, dianaliving.ca. Today's call is being recorded and a replay will be available. Instructions for access in the call are posted on the company's website, and the details are provided in the company's news release. The company has posted slides which accompany the host remarks on the company's website under events and presentations. With that, I will now turn the call to Mr. Jane. Please go ahead, Mr. Jane.
2: Thank you, Michelle, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us in our Q4 call today. First, I would like to express my deepest gratitude to our team members. Their demonstration of resilience, compassion, and commitment over the past year has been inspirational and truly humbling. They're making a remarkable difference by prioritizing the health and well-being of our residents and their colleagues, while often making significant sacrifices in their own lives. With the arrival of COVID-19 vaccines, we ended 2020 with with both promise and urgency in the ongoing fight against the pandemic. We have new protection and renewed hope as many of our residents and team members are now vaccinated. Since mid-December, Siena's Vaccination Task Force has been rolling out vaccinations across our long-term care and resident residences, retirement residences in Ontario and British Columbia. Over the past two months, approximately 92% of Siena's long-term care residents and 60% of Siena's long-term care team members have received their first dose of the vaccine. While the rollout of the vaccine and long-term care has been a government priority, approximately 46% of our residents and 28% of team members in our retirement residences have also received their first dose of the vaccine. In addition, the administration of the second dose is also well underway at many of our residences. The arrival of the vaccine has been a turning point and is expected to be the most impactful defense in the fight against COVID-19. With a high vaccination rate at our residences, we are encouraged that the number of residences in outbreak and the severity of outbreaks has started to decrease significantly over the past few weeks. As of yesterday, we had 12 residences with active cases of COVID-19, including nine residences in long-term care and three residences in retirement. At this point, we have no active COVID-19 cases across any of our residences in BC, and only six residences in Ontario have active resident cases. This marks a significant improvement and represents a 96% decline since the beginning of 2021. Moving to our continued focus on quality of care and safety, we continue to expect to have stringent precautions in place to reduce the the impact of COVID-19 at our residences. Coupled with the high level of community spread, the transmission rate of the virus in older BNC buildings has posed significant challenges and vigilant IPAC measures and protocols will remain in place for the foreseeable future. Our incident management team meets on a regular basis, reviews announcements and changes to provincial directives and provides guidance and oversight for implementing changes to applicable policies and procedures. With the guidance of Dr. Moser, our Chief Medical Officer, and Dr. McGeer, Siena's Infection Chief Infection Prevention and Control Advisor, we made enhancements to our IPAC measures and developed a standardized COVID-19 management guide based on public health guidelines. This guide provides further advice on IPAC measures to our team members and helps standardize the clinical management of COVID-19 in our residences. Moving to slide six, As a result of the pandemic, we enhanced our staffing strategy, both through our internal talent acquisition teams and the use of external agencies who provide short-term, ready-to-deploy team members. From March to December of 2020, we added approximately 1,200 team members to our workforce, and we increased our full-time workforce by 16% to about two-thirds of our total employees. Learnings on the first wave continue to be a key focus of team member training and weekly uh, training webinars, which are held at all of our properties, along with webinars to address site-specific needs. We have also placed additional emphasis on wellness programs, including mental health and well-being. We also made improvements to the way we communicate with residents and team members. We strengthen Siena's Family Caregiver Engagement Program to better engage with the residents' families and caregivers and to provide them with additional support. Every residence now holds a virtual town hall with all families at least once a month and send out a newsletter every second week. In Q4, we have hosted close to 170 virtual town halls and issued more than 300 newsletters. We also launched a wellness series currently focused on stress management and dealing with loss. We engaged our in-house medical experts, Dr. Moser and Dr. McGear, to provide information and answer questions about the COVID-19 vaccines to our team members, residents, and their families. We made further enhancements to a centralized call center. This includes longer hour of operations and enhancements to its marketing and sales function to support our retirement operations. And we continue to leverage CREW, our team member mobile app, which has been invaluable in connecting with thousands of team members in different locations quickly and efficiently. Over the fall and winter months, we continued with intensified marketing and sales activities and process improvements across our retirement platform to increase efficiency and productivity. Our continued investments in our digital presence have been driving traffic to our website and in social media sites to support lead generation. Online leads have increased by approximately 80% in Q4 of 2020 compared to the prior year and remain well above their prior levels in the first week of 2021. Initiatives also include professional referral programs and a sales incentive program. In addition, we continue the use of virtual tours at our residences. Moving to occupancy, Given the ongoing pandemic, occupancy declined in our retirement portfolio by 3.7% in the fourth quarter to 79.7% at the end of 2020, with the average occupancy of 81.3% in Q4. Year-over-year occupancy declined by 6.1% since the end of 2019. After several months of occupancy gains in the late summer and early fall of 2020, Renewed access restrictions led to the occupancy decline in the final months of 2020. Average monthly occupancy further declined to 78.6% in January of this year, down 120 basis points from December, and we expect continued occupancy pressure until mid-2021. Based on our assumption that restrictions and our retirement residences will ease over the coming quarters, we forecast occupancy improvements during the second half of the year supported by anticipated pent-up demand and our continued investments in our sales and marketing initiatives. In our long-term care portfolio, average occupancy declined to 84.8% in the fourth quarter from 98.2% in the same period last year due to access restrictions and capacity limitations. Occupancy will continue to be impacted by the pandemic with gradual improvements expected during the second half of the year. Excluding the impact of net pandemic expenses, we expect the financial performance of Siena's long-term care portfolio in 2021 to be similar to 2020. Long-term care residences are fully funded for vacancies if new residents cannot be admitted due to an outbreak. In addition, we continue to receive full funding for capacity limitations to a number of two residents per room in multi-bedrooms in Class B and C homes until February 28, 2021. This occupancy protection, however, does not compensate us for the loss of premiums we receive for preferred accommodations for private and semi-private rooms if they are vacant. Moving to slide nine, our operating performance has been significantly impacted by the extraordinary expenses incurred to manage the pandemic. Q4, OFFO per share was 21.1 cents, a decrease of 12.9 cents compared to the prior year Excluding net pandemic expenses, OFFO per share would have decreased by 4.4 cents compared to the prior year. Q4 AFFO per share was 19.6 cents, a decrease of 11.7 cents compared to the prior year. Excluding net pandemic expenses, AFFO per share would have decreased by 3.2 cents compared to the prior year. Siena's AFFO payout ratio increased to 119% in the fourth quarter Excluding the net pandemic expenses, the payout ratio would have been 83%. For the full year, AFF per share was $1.04 compared to $1.40 in the prior year, and the payout ratio was 90% compared to 66% in 2019. While we expect a continued increased level of expenses in the foreseeable future, high vaccination rates, coupled with the many actions we have taken to strengthen our operations, provide new protection to our residents and team members, and increased optimism across our sector and our company. With that, I'll turn it over to Karen, who will provide an update on our operating and financial performance.
3: Thank you Nitin, and good morning everyone. As Nitin mentioned, Siena has taken extensive precautions to manage the impact of COVID-19, which is reflected in our results and key metrics. We have made investments in additional staffing PPE, and property infrastructure, entered into management agreements with hospitals, and added senior healthcare expertise to navigate the effects of COVID-19. All of this affected our operating and financial results. I will start with our Q4 financial results on slide 11. Revenue decreased by 1.9% year-over-year to $168.8 million in Q4 2020 compared to Q4 2019. Our same property net operating income of $28.5 million in Q4 2020 decreased by $9.5 million over the prior year, mainly related to net unfunded pandemic expenses of $7.7 million. Retirement same property NOI decreased by $4.3 million to $12.2 million, which included net unfunded pandemic expenses of $1.8 million recognized during the quarter, excluding net pandemic expenses Retirement same property NOI decreased by 2.5 million to 14 million, mainly due to lower occupancy levels and inflationary increases in labor costs, partially offset by annual rental rate increases in line with market conditions. Long-term care same property NOI decreased by 5.2 million to 16.3 million year over year due to net unfunded pandemic expenses of 5.2 million. Excluding net pandemic expenses, Long-term care same property NOI was slapped to prior year with decreases in preferred accommodation revenues in our Ontario portfolio offset by timing of expenses. Moving to slide 12 on our full year financial results, same property NOI decreased by 31.5 million compared to 2019. Same property NOI in retirement decreased by 16.9 million or 11.6 million. And long term care scene property NOI decreased by 22.5 million or 19.9 million over the prior year. Rent collection levels in the retirement portfolio remained high at approximately 99% throughout the pandemic. We incurred an increased level of expenses to support the cost of fighting the pandemic and minimizing the impact of outbreaks. There are various programs and financial assistance provided by the government to support pandemic-related expenses. It is important to note that there may be timing differences between the time of incurring these pandemic expenses and the funding of such expenses. During the quarter, we recorded net unfunded pandemic expenses of $7.7 million related to managing COVID-19, a decrease of 20.8% compared to the third quarter's $9.7 million. The decrease, compared to last quarter, was mainly related to lower pandemic staffing costs as a result of our effective recruitment and retention initiatives, leading to a reduction in external agency costs. We also incurred lower hospital management fees compared to the last quarter. This was partially offset by increased PPE costs in response to the second wave. For the full year, net pandemic expenses were 28.2 million. We are very grateful for the continued government support that helps us cover some of the extraordinary pandemic expenses. With the exception of funding related to accommodation, all government funding is flow-through funding, which means it has to be spent entirely on resident care. Any amounts that are not spent directly on resident care or pandemic expenses have to be returned to the government. At the beginning of January, The Government of Ontario announced additional funding for long-term care of $398 million for costs related to enhanced testing requirements and continued infection prevention and containment efforts, increasing total funding to the long-term care sector to over $1.3 billion. This funding included an allocation of $6.9 million to date to Siena for expenses that were incurred in 2020. Had the impact of this additional funding been recognized in 2020, same property NOI in our long-term care portfolio would have been 23.2 million in Q4 2020. To date, the Ontario government has approximately allocated 747 million, excluding amounts for occupancy protection funding. Of this amount, approximately 47 million has been allocated to Siena to date. The Government of British Columbia has allocated approximately $197 million in funding for costs in connection with additional screening and staffing, infection prevention and control measures, and social visitation, of which $3 million has been allocated to Siena. All of this funding is crucial to help offset some of the significant costs driven by the pandemic. Moving to our debt financing efforts. On October 2nd, we successfully completed 275 million of debt financing, which significantly reduced near-term debt maturities and improved our long-term debt ladder. These financings, which reflect the confidence placed in our company, included 175 million in secured unsecured ventures carrying a coupon rate of 3.45% and maturing in February 2026, and a 100 million credit facility carrying a floating banker's acceptance rate plus 225 basis points. The proceeds from the financings were mainly used to early redeem our series B security ventures, which would have been due in February, 2021. With these successful financing, the weighted average term to maturity of our debt has been extended to 4.7 years at the end of the year. Looking at our debt metrics for the full year 2020 on slide 16, Excluding the impact of net pandemic expenses, our interest coverage ratio was 3.9 times in 2020, in line with the prior year. And excluding the impact of net pandemic expenses, debt-to-adjusted EBITDA increased to 7.5 times in 2020, from 6.7 times in the prior year. And our debt to gross book value increased by 220 basis points to 48.2% year-over-year, Mainly due to an 87 million drawdown on our credit facilities, of which 40 million have been invested in short-term investments to provide us with continued financial flexibility. Subsequent to the end of the year, we repaid 63 million of our credit facilities, therefore decreasing our debt- to gross book value by 150 basis points to 46.7 percent. We decreased our weighted average cost of debt by 40 basis points to 3.2% year-over-year, year, primarily due to increasing our mix of floating rate debt. In terms of the balance sheet, Siena maintains a strong financial position and investment-grade credit rating and ended the year with $217 million in liquidity and an unencumbered asset pool of over $840 million. Our debt is well-distributed between unsecured debentures, conventional mortgages, CMHC-insured mortgages, and credit facilities. As mentioned, we expect an increased level of expense for some time, which will continue to affect some of Sienna's key performance indicators, in particular with respect to the company's operating performance. Given the many factors influencing your results, we remain committed to providing periodic business updates on the impact of the pandemic and on our business operations and financial results. I will now turn the call back to Nitton for his closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Karen. I had the opportunity to safely and within all the provincial guidelines visit 24 of our residences since June of last year, including five in the last few weeks. When visiting our residences, I witnessed firsthand the dedication and courage of our incredible team members, many of whom have been battling COVID-19 for almost a year now. I'm truly grateful that our governments prioritize senior living in their rollout of vaccines. It gives our residents and team members the much needed protection they deserve. I'm also thankful for the government of Ontario's decision to increase direct care hours over the coming years to an average of four hours per day for each resident in long-term care, a significant increase compared to the current 2.8 hours. At Siena, we have taken many actions over the past year to review and strengthen our company's foundation by adjusting and enhancing our operations and our capacity to respond to the pandemic. Many of these initiatives have been highlighted in our inaugural ESG report, which was published yesterday. The extent of the pandemic impact on our operational and financial performance in 2021 depends on numerous developments. These include the duration and scope of COVID-19 outbreaks at our residences and the impact on our residents, employees, and suppliers the speed of vaccine rollout across the wider population in Canada, the arrival of new variants of the virus, as well as the extent of the general economic recovery. In terms of a strategic focus and development, our plans include over $600 million in capital investment to develop our Ontario long-term care portfolio over the next five to seven years. This is a major opportunity to invest with a focus on sustainability to enhance the lives of seniors we serve And enrich the work environment for our team members. Our 2021 goal is to start with two development projects in this year. Last year has been filled with learning, innovation, and resilience. With many of our residents and team members now vaccinated, we have new protection and increased optimism. As we look beyond the pandemic, overall sector fundamentals remain strong. An aging population, long waitlist for long-term care, and a slowdown in the future supply of retirement residences are all expected to support our sector's outlook going forward. I'm incredibly grateful for our team of over 13,000 who's doing everything it can to prevent the spread in our residences during the second wave. I also want to acknowledge the many stakeholders who are dedicated to supporting us in our ongoing fight against COVID-19, including the governments of Ontario and British Columbia, our sector associations, and our residents and their families. Thank you for your participation on the call today. We are pleased to now answer any questions you may have.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star, then one. If your question hasn't answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, press the pound key. Our first question comes from Jonathan Kelcher with TD Securities. Your line is open.
4: Thanks. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Um, first question, just on the, on the long-term care and, and the extra pandemic costs. I, I guess with vaccines being rolled out and your infection rates um, way down, which is, which is obviously good, what, when do you think those start easing off a little bit? Is that something that should taper over the, over the course of 2021?
3: Good morning, Jonathan. We are very pleased with our vaccination rates to date. Um, And uh, with long-term care having been prioritized and our residents being 92% uh, vaccinated to date, uh, that's very meaningful. And we see a very favorable correlation with the high vaccination rate and the decline in the number of outbreaks as we are now at uh, less than 0.2% of active uh, resident cases. Um, And our pandemic expense do vary greatly depending on whether a home is on outbreak or not, and the severity of that outbreak. Um, And what we've seen is once the home goes into outbreak, um, there is increased needs for staffing costs, for PPE, cleaning, uh, and cohorting, and so forth. Um, However, even with the vaccinations uh, in place, we're very uh, committed to continuing with our IPAC measures and protocols, which means continuing with an elevated level of staffing and PPE and, and all those measures that come with it. Uh, and with the homes now coming out of uh, outbreak, though those costs would continue for some time as we uh, would unwind some of the extra effort, but it really uh, has a standard level of IPAC protocols that will continue for some time, really until the general population would get vaccinated because we see a direct uh, relationship between community spread uh, and the uh, infection of our residences. So, uh, we are fully committed to ensuring that our residents, our team members are still very well protected from the pandemic. And as the pandemic subsides in the general population, those costs would come down.
4: Okay, so I, I guess a, another way um, of of asking that is, if we if we were to assume um, that you're fortunate enough to have zero outbreaks in in all of Q2, um, roughly what would the extra pandemic cost be for for that quarter?
2: I, Jonathan, I think it's very hard to uh, estimate that because it depends on you know the. The community restrictions in that area as well, and there would be a, again, as Karen mentioned, there'll be a certain standard you would always keep. You would be screening people till uh, you know uh, the, the overall population is vaccinated. Uh, you know, people would still be wearing some uh, personal protective equipment. So it's really hard to estimate at this point what it would look like if we had no outbreaks.
4: Okay, um, okay. Uh, maybe switching gears, just on the the um, development program that that you outlined, the six hundred million dollars. Um, how would how would funding work for a, a typical development? Like, how how much loan to cost could you get in, in terms of construction financing?
2: Uh, sure, so um, around seventy-five percent for long-term care. Giving the uh, certainty of, you know, there's really no lease of risk. So there's, you can borrow a bit more. And, uh, this, uh, there are certain lenders who are very active in this space. We can borrow close to 25 year money for around three and a quarter percent. So, you know, we are speaking with three of them. And the balance, you know, you would fund it from your equity up front. And after the home or the building is completed, uh, depending on where you're located, you can get around 10 to 17 percent. Of that uh, construction uh, amount back as an upfront grant. So, whatever equity you put in, yeah. around half of it could be recovered once the home is open. So, you know, for our $600 million program, if you just think of it at a high level, uh, if we borrow $450 million, which is the 75%, and out of the balance of the 150 we would need close to $70 million upfront over the next three years. And then uh, once that program gets going, as building comes online, that equity is uh, self-funded through those grants going forward.
4: Okay. So so bottom line, you're looking at about $70 of of cash that you guys need to to come up with over the next three years for for this program.
2: That's correct. And these are, again, high-level numbers at this point, as we have detailed programs for a few sites, and we have high-level assumptions for some of the other sites. But directionally, yes.
4: Okay. Thanks. I'll uh, I'll turn it back.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Fred Blondo with IA Securities. Your line is open.
5: Thanks and uh, good morning. Just looking at the action plan from here, would you say you're pretty much done increasing the size of your team and? uh, and in terms of the um, occupancy uh, protection funding, I mean, c- could you remind us, and I might have missed that, uh, what, uh, what happens post-February
2: uh, 28th? Sure. Hi. Good morning, uh, Fred. Morning. So, on the first one, uh, yes, our team is overall uh, built. There are uh, three areas where we added expertise, the first one being the healthcare. the second one around communications, which included uh, us opening a call center, And the last one is uh, centralizing our uh, talent acquisition Uh, and we were fortunate to be able to do that in the time we did. In terms of uh, the February 28th guideline, we continue to work uh, with the the ministry on how safely to reopen homes so people can start to come back and also discuss how do we uh, get people back into the three or four bedrooms and still maintain uh, infection prevention control. I know there's a lot of conversation happening at multiple tables to ensure how do we do it in the best interest of everyone. So at this point, we really don't really have any more guidance uh, than that.
5: Mm -hmm. No, that's totally fair. And expanding on uh, Jonathan's question on your redevelopment program, um, I know we discussed that in the past, but what would be your current assumptions in terms of yield on costs, and how would you say that these assumptions evolved over the last year or so? The reason why I'm asking, obviously, is that we all saw, you know, uh, material costs rising over the last uh, couple of quarters.
2: Uh, correct. So our assumptions continue to be that, you know, uh, we we would expect for development returns to be in 50 to 100 basis point over, uh, you, know, you know, a stabilized long-term care home. Now, the reality is there's been very limited construction of a long-term care homes in Ontario there were 500 beds built in the last five years. So people are making guesses on what that cap rate would look like. Uh, When we look at uh, A homes, and we recently went through a very fulsome appraisal process because as you are doing an unsecured financing, the cap rates for A homes uh, could be anywhere from 6.75 to 7.25. And uh, uh, we would uh, argue and advocate that if you have a brand new building uh, built now uh, with a brand new license, uh, the cap rate should be lower than the 6.75 number. So, uh, I would say anything in the 7% uh, yield range would make uh, would make sense for us financially. Uh, but secondly, it is also the right thing to do. These older homes were built 50 years back for a uh, different resident profile. 50 years back, when people used to walk into long-term care home, uh, the average length of stay could be four or five years. Today, uh, people come and much uh, uh, later in life with acute healthcare needs, and those buildings are just not, uh, uh, you know, we have to make them work for the next five, seven years because you cannot really change them overnight. But going forward as the acuity level would only uh, become more and more difficult to manage, you, do the, you need the right infrastructure uh, to be able to do that. So for mm-hmm. us, uh, we feel from a... Uh, from an ESG perspective, it's the right thing to do socially, it's the right thing to do environmentally, and it would have, uh, we expect uh, a a decent return for our shareholders as well, because we would be relying on a huge amount of capital to make this happen.
5: That's great, and uh, congratulations to you and the team on great work, I can only imagine how difficult this situation is. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Our next question comes from Himanshu Gupta, Let's go to Bank. Your line is open. Thank you
6: and good morning. Good morning, Himanshu. So, uh, with respect to additional funding announcement in January, uh, has that been fully allocated now? Uh, and then, just to confirm, uh, you have received six point nine million dollar in January pertaining to expenses incurred in 2020, uh, but that's not recorded in the financial so far.
3: Good morning, Himanshu. Uh, you're right on all those fronts. So, in the January funding announcement, uh, Ontario has shared a new uh, funding of 398 million which helps with the uh, testing requirements as well as uh, COVID related expenses covering staffing, PP, and uh, all the kinds of costs we have been incurring. And out of that new funding, um, uh, about 40% of it has been allocated to date. Uh, and we've shared that um, what we have received um, of $6.9 million related to 2020 expenses. And because the funding announcement was only known in January, those are not reflected in our year-end results. Got right. And if I look
6: at the total unfunded expenses in 2020, they were around $18 million and looks like you have received 7 million dollars already in january uh, do you get a sense from the government that you are you are likely to receive more funding to close the gap between that uh, you know that 12 million dollars left now or 11 million dollars left now which is not recovered from the last year
3: uh, that's a good question um what i can only say is that out of that new funding that had been shared Um, There is still about 60% of it to be allocated. Uh, We're not sure how that would be allocated. Uh, But in addition to that, um, there was also a funding program that was announced back in the fall in September, whereby uh, every month we have been getting pandemic funding um, to support with our ongoing costs as well. And uh, as of late, that monthly allocation has been about uh, $3.2, $3.5 million a month.
6: It. Okay. Thank you. And then just looking at the nature of the pandemic expenses, uh, I mean, if I look at, you know, the PP&E expenses were almost $2 million in the quarter. There were other expenses as well, I think. Uh, and obviously, you know, pandemic labor continued to be elevated. So uh, which expense category do you think will come down? I mean, like, you know, similar to Jonathan's question, if on a homes which is 100% COVID-free, 100% vaccinated, which category do you think you know the first category which really which will come down and uh, any any uh, you know uh, what could be the level of savings there?
2: I think that's uh, uh, yeah. Uh, John, you're right. Jonathan asked the same question, and uh, it's not that we're not looking to give you an answer, but let me just walk you through some of the scenarios. For example, um, the vaccination is still relatively new. And uh, a month back, the conversation was, even if you receive vaccination, you should still be getting uh, screened and tested on a regular basis. Now there's some new conversation coming that as uh, you know, people are vaccinated, that maybe they don't have to get tested on a regular basis. But again, that is still in very early stages before you can implement it. Then there's the second concept of rapid testing. And uh, you know, we are now doing a pilot in five of our sites. And the initial assessment was that it'll take incredible amount of uh, uh, team members to make that happen because you're really creating a mini lab in 83 of your residences, even though it's not mandated in retirement at this moment. So, it is very hard to estimate at this point. As we learn a bit more, uh, you know, uh, we, again, can provide a bit more information. And that's why we are committed to provide uh, regular business guidance rather than just waiting for the quarter. So... As we know a bit more on how and what uh, level of expenses can come down given the vaccination, uh, we can certainly come back and and provide a bit more fulsome update.
6: Okay, that's that's fair enough. And then just turning the, uh, you know, changing gears to retirement home occupancy. Uh, So the question is, were there any restrictions in terms of admissions to retirement homes in Q4 or currently in January, February so far? I mean, I mean, just looking at the occupancy drop here. Uh, can you can you elaborate that?
2: Sure. Uh, the, our retirement team has done an excellent job of following up on previous leads, and as you can imagine, if uh, as seniors are moving into one of the in one of the retirement homes, they would like to see it, compare it to other options, and then move in. So during the summer of la- of last year, when you know they were they were not uh, there were less restrictions, and there were uh, more in-person tours that people were already in the pipeline, we were able to actually see occupancy increase. Now, since all of those leads are gone and restrictions have been in place for quite some time, and there's a certain cycle for a senior to move into a retirement home, you're, uh, in many cases they're selling their own house. So the good news is the housing prices continue to be very strong and are only going mm-hmm. higher. But if you're a senior and you're in the middle of COVID with all the restrictions, it is uh, challenging to be listing your home and, and selling it. So we haven't really seen much traction, and with the uh, restrictions, there are only virtual tours available. And there's still the need to ensure that people are isolating for the uh, 14 days when they first move in, even though they might have a uh, COVID-negative test. So there are some items that we continue to work uh, with our association and with the government to see if we can uh, find to, uh, you uh, uh, you know, influence them in a safe manner to make uh, uh, moving a bit more easier for seniors. But again, uh, safety always comes first. A long way of answering a question around that there continues to be restrictions. uh, We're doing virtual tours when people are visiting in person. They are allowed to do so. They have to have a a COVID test to be able to do that. So at this stage, uh, I would say we are cautiously optimistic with the vaccine that as vaccines start to take impact, uh, we can start to have a bit more Uh, uh, Visits in person and a bit more follow-up from a sales and marketing
6: perspective. Got it. Uh, And then maybe the last question is, previously you mentioned, uh, you know, you were not giving much incentives uh, uh, for, uh, you know, supporting the the retirement home occupancy. Uh, Has that view changed now or will that view change now, given that, you know, some of your homes will be, are at uh, below 80% occupancy levels?
2: Uh, right. So in the past, we've always talked about we provide one-time incentives rather than changes in rates. So we will continue with one-time incentives. You know, whether it's uh, moving cost, uh, whether it's the uh, whether it's some help with the furniture, or might be some uh, you know rental period free upfront. And we believe that's a better way than to uh, lower market rents because it also upsets your current residents. It's uh, it's a bit unfair if someone is living with you for for, for two years and the, the next door neighbor is knocking less because you just are trying to fill occupancy, and there is continued cost pressure from a uh, from a PPE perspective as well. So most of the sophisticated uh, retirement uh, owners and operators they continue to provide incentives rather than lower rates because don't think that's the right strategy in the long term. So we 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 are in the same boat of providing one-time incentives, but not really looking to change market rates.
6: Got it. Thank you so much. I'll turn it back. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Tal Woolley with National Bank. Your line is open.
7: Hi. Good morning.
1: Good
3: morning,
7: Tal. The staffing vaccination rates, what's sort of the impediment to increasing those? Because I think you know, one of the things we sort of learned is that's sort of been one of the vectors that has created some of the outbreaks going forward, and I'm just wondering if it's a vaccine availability issue or uh, if there's anything, other, anything else that's sort of factoring into, factoring into that.
2: The biggest issue is uh, availability because the residents um, uh, are prioritized first, and for team members, it usually, uh, the path has been you go to the local hospital when there's vaccines available to do that and we had 60% of our team members in long-term care vaccinated. Our refusal rate has been quite low, it's been less than 10% and with the new variants coming in that rate is only going lower and with more education which both uh, our chief medical officer and our chief infection prevention control advisor are doing because uh, there was a lot of myths around this vaccine how it might be unsafe because it was developed so fast and that is not the case. Uh, so it's, uh, we don't really see a huge number of refusals and in cases where we had vaccine availability and we had staff who were worried. Uh, we even took on to ensure we can provide one-on-one, uh, uh, you know, education to get people vaccinated because you're 100% correct. The best, uh, the, uh, the most fulsome way of fighting this pandemic is to get people vaccinated. So that continues to be high priority, and we do expect our team members' numbers to be uh, extremely high. Once there's uh, full some availability, which we understand might be coming in in, in next uh, weeks or so.
7: Okay. Um, just pivoting back to the retirement occupancy. I mean, we're sort of a year into it, and I appreciate that. You know, you know, regulatory changes, everything. You know, staffing changes, everything that's happened throughout the year. It's made it. You know, obviously, it was making it a little bit difficult to call like month to month what the expected impact should be on the business but when you sort of look now kind of a year out um and thinking about what the average tenure of a retirement resident is like the rate of occupancy loss has it been about what you expected now like is it or is it a little worse than what you were thinking or maybe even a little bit better now that you've got like sort of some time looking at this looking at how it's performed
2: Sure. So usually um, in in the retirement homes, Q1 uh, is a challenging quarter because pe- uh, with the flu season, many people are would be moving into long-term care. So I'll just give you some uh, you know high-level um, uh, metrics. For example, um, you know if you had 90 move-outs, let's call it in January of last year in retirement, just I'm just giving you aggregate numbers. The number of move-outs would be 70% of that um, this year because so the number of people moving out has definitely gone down. The challenge is the number of people moving in might be a 20% rate of what people were a year back because of all the reasons I talked about before in terms of tours, people selling their houses and others. So the the move-outs actually has not been a challenge and in fact has come down because of restrictions in long-term care, Uh, but it's the move-ins which uh, we actively need to work on. And what we have been busy doing, whether it's with our call center, whether it's it's a sales and marketing program, is ensuring that we are ready, that as restrictions do come out and the markets where it's out, we are are actively doing that, building those local partnerships. So, um, you know, I I can imagine the frustration on calling it out. The same applies to us. But I would just give you an example. In in November, there was no conversation of a U.K. variant, and now apparently that's going to be the, uh, the biggest uh, part of covid in canada so things are changing at a rate uh, which are difficult to manage so far from everything we have learned this new vaccine is uh, or the vaccine uh, continues to defend people against the variant so that that is positive but there's just a lot of new information coming on a regular basis Tal, which is, makes it very difficult to uh, to forecast things
7: okay um and then from your marketing teams, like, what's the tone, you know, like, has the, has there, are they noting more uh, concern from uh, prospective residents about moving into a senior's home or, pardon me, a retirement residence through, through this period? Like, are they, fi- you know, are you find like their conversations are having to revolve around, like, you know, here are the infection controls and stuff like that, or, is it more like it was in the past? It's just, you know, I've got a family member or a relative who, you know, who needs more assistance. Like, I, I'm just wondering if the conversation has changed from a marketing perspective a lot. Uh,
2: not really. You know, again, our uh, resident profile is 85 years old and it is need driven to some extent uh, 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 to do that. Uh, the 14 day isolation period definitely is challenging. Uh, you know, it does seem like a lot uh, when someone moving in, but we also have to ensure we are keeping everyone else safe. So that's the work you're doing if people have a negative COVID test or residents have a negative COVID test, and that isolation period could be different. But, again, we'll, all, we'll only change that once it's safe to do so. So it's more uh, things around being able to tour properly, being able to talk to people, being able to tour multiple times, rather than really a change in, in mindset. Because, again, as I talked about, our retirement um, resident profile is more need-driven rather than just, uh, you know, uh, living style.
7: Okay. Um, and then uh, you mentioned too in your NDA, uh, just about trying to do uh, more medical visits virtually within your long-term care homes, and looking to spend some money on that. Can you just talk to me about what exactly what exactly you're talking about, and what what type of money we're sort of uh, discussing in that initiative?
2: It's not really, um, you know, that that. For virtual care, it's more on technology such as iPads or uh, or hardware, and you always have to, as our chief medical officer keeps reminding everyone, that virtual care visits only go so far. So you you really need to do both, where it's a physical visit and a virtual visit. What you're trying to do is that between those in-person visits, you're really doing uh, the virtual visits, and there would be upfront costs such as the hardware
7: to set that up. Okay, so it's nothing, yeah, it's not a big system implementation by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, got it. Thanks very much, Guy. Thank you.
3: Maybe I'll just add to that, Tal, is uh, we did get also a separate bucket of funding for IPAC-related capital expenditures, so that's been helpful.
7: Okay. Great.
1: Our next question comes from Joanne Chen with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
8: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, maybe just just uh, going back on just on the uh, pandemic expenses, um, assuming I know it's, it's hard to, you know, because things are changing day by day, but assuming kind of the trend that you're seeing now, would it be fair to assume that the portion of that net unfunded, um, you know, uh, expenses should continue to trend down like it did from uh, Q3 to Q4 uh, throughout 2021?
3: Uh, again, uh, it is hard to tell uh, whether it's going to trend down, but we are very encouraged with the decline in our number of uh, homes on outbreak and the number of cases. So uh, as the number of outbreaks and cases come down, uh, the expenses uh, would also come down, but you know, still there is a level of IPAC measures that are required uh, and that we are fully supportive of. And so we uh, could expect that our expenses could still um, be a bit higher than what the funding
8: might be. Right, but uh, hopefully that gap uh, closes. And sorry, I might have missed this earlier. Karen, you you mentioned something with respect to the 147 million, and then the uh, 47 million allocated uh, in Ontario. Is that for expenses? I don't know if I heard it wrong, but was that for expenses to be incurred in 2021?
3: So um, so there were, uh, the number I referred to is the total uh, pandemic funding that we have gotten uh, to
1: date,
3: $37 million. And of the new funding announcement in January of uh, $398 million, um, out of that we had allocated a portion of it, of which $6.9 million uh, was uh, recognized in January but
8: related to 2020 expenses. Okay. And I guess the assumption is later, a couple of months later down the line for whatever expenses incurred in 2021, uh, 2021 that will come uh, from the government later down um, in the year, correct?
2: Uh, potentially, Joanne, you're saying that for expenses in this year, would we continue to get funding? Again, that's that would be our, uh, you know, that is something we would be looking for because, again, all of this funding goes directly towards pandemic expenses, and if you don't use it, you give it back to the government. So, uh, you know, as outbreaks go down and hopefully the expenses go down, uh, maybe the funding will go down, but at this point, we continue to see increased level of staffing increase, increased personal protective equipment. So, that is something which would uh, we, we uh, expect and hope that will continue on uh, uh, to help us and mitigate all this risk.
8: Okay. And perhaps this is a longer-term question, but, you know, assuming, you know, the the pace of vaccination, you know, continues at a good rate and, you know, we finally achieve some sort of uh, herd immunity. um, With respect to your retirement home, are there any thoughts on the – in terms of what you guys are thinking in terms of the occupancy – recovering back the timeline for the occupancy to retur- return kind of back to the, um, close to pre-pandemic levels?
2: Uh, again, our, fund- our view on fundamentals haven't changed, and in fact, with slowdown of some of the uh, retirement and new supply, and we will even give you our example where uh, in the previous time we have announced that we want to do a project in North Bay, and we were thinking of doing both long-term care and retirement we are only going to go ahead with long-term care at this point. We were going to do a project in Kingsmere, for an expansion, and we have put that project on hold. So, again, we expect retirement supply is going to decrease, and that will continue to, again, help from a retirement occupancy perspective. Uh, so our view really hasn't changed, uh, and we expect on a stabilized view to get to the low 90% in the long term. just We just don't know how the long-term is it. 18 months is it two and a two-and-a-half years. it's hard to predict that today. Uh, in the summer uh, of last year, we saw significant uptick in occupancy at a very fast pace, but it's just hard to say that today.
8: Okay. Oh,
1: that's fair. Um, that's it for me. I'll, I'll pass it back. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Yash Paul with Larescheon Bank. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. Let me try this uh, one more time. Would it be fair to say that you will continue to incur these out-of-pocket costs, a uh, sizable amount of them uh, in 2021? Would I that be we'll a fair?
2: Let me answer a question in a more direct way. So uh, what we will ensure is we, do not do, we are not going to cut on costs if it's unsafe to do so. So whether we get the funding from the government or not, we will continue to have the right level of staffing, the right level of personal protective equipment or anything else needed to fight the pandemic. Our view would be that this is a, a sector-wide issue and you know we should continue to get support from the government, but that is not gonna stop us from continuing to uh, do what we need to do. Uh, on things such as extra care hours, all, uh, you know, in terms of changing from the current 2.8 to 4, those are long-term. That's, those are the ones which we expect the government to continue to work with the government and others to make it happen, and we are fully supportive uh, of doing that. It's just hard to predict how that would look like, how much funding we would get versus our expenses.
1: Thank you. Um, now, given the prospect uh, of incurring higher costs for uh, foreseeable future and the uncertainty in terms of your, uh, you know, recovery in the uh, your retirement home occupancy. How does the board think about your distribution at this point?
2: So, this, so you know, we have been talking about our, uh, our distribution throughout uh, the year on a monthly basis, and there's a lot of media conversation around dividends as well, around people taking government funding and putting into dividends, which is absolutely uh, untrue, because uh, you cannot actually do that. Uh, you can only uh, make any income from either your retirement homes, which we have, which is half of our business, or the or the accommodation portion uh, of the funding. Our payout ratio for uh, 2020 was 90%. We always believed in having a conservative payout ratio uh, to ensure that we, uh, we continue to bring our leverage down and be saving it for a rainy day. Well, it's been a hurricane for quite some time. But with the vaccination and the high rates of vaccination, we see we do see an end uh, to this in the, in the call it short to medium term, or expenses coming down. We just don't know how much. So for now, we continue to feel um, you know strongly invested in, in what our dividend is. But that is a conversation we would have uh, internally and with the board on a regular basis. And we if we think that it's going to uh, that we need to make a different decision, we'll do that. But we have not uh, so far. We continue to believe that we have a a good payout ratio and and we have strong liquidity to offset any of the short-term cash uh, flow uh, pressure.
1: Thank you.
5: That's it for me.
2: Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Brendan Abrams with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open.
0: Hi. Good morning, everyone. Maybe just following up on the earlier line of questioning around the uh, long-term care developments. Um, on Fred's, Fred's question r- relating to yield on cost, uh, I'm just wondering if you can be a little bit more specific in terms of, on a percentage basis, like a cash-on-cash return, You know what you would be expecting in terms of um, future long-term care redevelopments.
2: Yeah, I would just say, you know, from a, from a total investment, uh, perspective, because if, you know, at a high leverage, your cash return might look a bit different. We expect on a, you know, just on a development yield perspective, on total investment versus the NOI you would generate, we expect the development yield to be in the range of, uh, seven you know, to eight percent, so depending on project. So that really our view has not, uh, has not changed on it. And, but as I did talk about, um, with the, the way the development program works and the high leverage on long term care, you could, uh, get, you know, your, your, your cash on cash yield might look uh, better than your overall development yield, but that's a, that could be misguided at times. So for us, we can to believe a development yield of 7 to 8 percent on total investment
0: uh, would make sense for us to uh, keep going with this development program. Right. And what would it translate to in terms of a price? Per suite basis, like if if we're thinking about 600 million over the next five to seven years, how how many suites would that represent?
2: Yeah, so we have 2,200 uh, older long-term care beds. So this assumes roughly, call it 275 to 300 thousand dollars a bed, including land cost in areas where we, you know, in most cases we we have existing land. And our goal would be wherever possible, where we have land, where there's a highest and best use for something else, to be able to do that and reinvest that money into our long-term care plan. So, uh, again, we, as we talked about, uh, our internal estimates are that we will need close to $70 million to kick-start this program over the next three years. And after that, it should really become self-funding between the, the construction financing and the government grant you get up front
0: okay that's great that's uh helpful and um uh, maybe just returning to you know operations um you know clearly no one no one has a crystal ball at this point, but you know if we look out to twenty twenty two um hopefully we're in a more kind of normalized environment um you know if i if I look back to twenty nineteen uh operating margins for retirement was forty five percent long term care was seventeen percent you know how, how are you thinking about operating margins in the business, um, you know, maybe 2022 and beyond in a more normalized environment? Do you think, you know, you can get to uh, pre-COVID levels or, you know, given maybe some of these, um, you know, measures, you know, might become permanent, uh, it would be, you know, it, it would fall somewhat, you know, shy of that? Uh
2: you're correct. That is, uh, that is a big uh, question, and in our view, uh, really the long-term care or the, the long-term margins do not really change. So let's just use retirement for an example. Where we see margin pressure is additional personal protective equipment, it's screening cost, it's uh, longer dining hours because instead of having four people on a table, you might have one or people might be eating in their rooms. And in all my visits, uh, you know when you talk to residents, uh, they are not looking forward to living, wearing a mask every day and uh, eating separately because that is part of coming into retirement home is to uh, is the whole aspect of uh, not going through social social isolation. So uh, our belief is that in retirement homes as as occupancy picks up, margin will come back to the right levels. for long-term care the the two biggest areas are personal protective equipment, which is where uh, you know, how efficient the vaccine is, and as we get more data on how much personal protective equipment you need when people, when everyone is vaccinated, uh, that remains to be seen, but we do expect that number to come down. And on a staffing thing, uh, the, the whole direct care hours, as you've talked about in the, in the past, uh, no operator, which of any ownership kind, make any money off care. So we expect with the government's announcement of additional uh, care hours going up to four, we will get more funding, and we will spend that funding towards care. So our margin percentage might come down, but margin dollars uh, should not change. Right.
0: Said. Okay. That's helpful. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Thank you.
1: There are no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Nit and Jane for any closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Michelle, and uh, on behalf of our management team and our board of directors, I want to thank all of you for your continued support. And I hope all of you can stay uh, safe and healthy. Thank
1: you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone, Everyone, have a great
0: day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.